Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Onelen Zinzi and Tabiso Luhoku. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, the body of United States Congressman and civil rights leader John Lewis lying in state in Washington, where mourners will be able to pay their last respects until Tuesday night. Somalia's parliament removes Prime Minister Hassan Ali Kari in a vote of no confidence for failing to pave the way towards fully democratic elections. And in economics news, the Black Business Council of South Africa has urged its members to observe clean business practices and refrain from corruption as the country battles coronavirus. But first up, the news with Onel Nsinsi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Lulu. An international crisis group has urged dialogue between the Algerian government and the anti-regime movement Hirak to avoid what it calls a major economy crisis. The Hirak movement began in February 2019 to protest state of affairs in Algeria. The weekly protests were suspended mid-March due to the coronavirus pandemic. However, the COVID-19 pandemic has not prevented Algerian authorities from persecuting and convicting Hirak activists, political opponents, journalists and users of social media. According to the National Committee for the Liberation of Prisoners, nearly 60 people are currently behind bars, most of them for Facebook posts. Zimbabwe's ruling party has accused the U.S. ambassador of sponsoring planned opposition protests in attempts to overthrow the government. ZANU-PF spokesperson Patrick Chinasmaser has described Ambassador Brian Nichols as a thug threatening to expel him. Chinamasa's comments echo the Robert Mugabe era where the ZANU-PF government regularly accused the United States and Britain of seeking to dislodge it from power. Political tensions arising fast in the southern African nation after activists called for demonstrations against government corruption. The U.S. Embassy has rejected allegations that it wants to destabilize Zimbabwe. The Southern African Presidency has appointed Tyrone Seal to act in the position of spokesperson to the president while Kosela Digo takes leave of absence. This comes amid a probe into the awarding of two contracts for the supply of PPEs to Royal Bata Projects, a company in which her husband is a director. The contracts have since been cancelled. Minister in the Presidency Jackson Tembu says Digo formally made the request for a leave of absence to for her duties while investigations continue. Ms. Kuseladiko, the spokesperson of the president, has requested leave of absence from office and that leave of absence has been granted by the president and the minister in the presidency. This request for leave of absence comes in the wake of recent allegations that have come directed at both Mrs. Tiko and her husband.
New research has shown that COVID-19 crisis is seriously worsening the nutrition of children in developing countries. The medical journal, The Lancet, says an extra 6 million children under the age of 5 are at risk of malnutrition. It has attributed the research to soaring food prices, supply chains being disrupted and nutrition programs that are halted. Over 16.4 million coronavirus cases have been recorded across the globe and 652,000 COVID-19 related deaths. Chika Hayashi is a UNICEF spokesperson. The socioeconomic shocks created by the pandemic, especially in low middle income countries and lost jobs, are leading to a less quality diet. And especially in the most vulnerable populations, this can be, you know, having nothing to eat, especially during this lean season between planting and harvest, or only eating starching meals and not having the essential nutrients for people to grow, especially children. The U.S. has announced that the first U.S. presidential debate between incumbent Donald Trump and his Democratic challenger Joe Biden will take place in Cleveland, Ohio, on the 29th of September. It had been due to take place at a university in Indiana, but was changed due to concerns over coronavirus precautions. The two men will hold three debates in all before the November vote. Paul suggests that Biden is currently holding a lead of 15 percent points nationally. And lastly, looking at your sports news, Qatar will seek to host the 2032 Olympic Games, joining a crowded field and raising questions about scorching summer temperatures and underwhelming attendance at past events. India, Australia's Queensland state, the Chinese city of Shanghai, and a potential joint bid between South and North Korea are also being touted for the 2032 Summer Games. Under changes put forward in 2014, interested countries submit a request to join Join the non-committal continuous dialogue, which Qatar confirmed to the International Olympics Committee. Uh, Figile Lingwati has more. In a statement, Qatar Olympic Committee President Sheikh Johan bin Hamad bin Khalifa Al Thani says their announcement marks the beginning of a meaningful dialogue with the IOC's future host commission to explore their interests further and identify how the Olympic Games can support Qatar's long-term development goals. Sheikh Joan, brother of Qatar's ruler, Emir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al-Tani, says Qatar has earned the reputation of a world-class destination for major sporting events. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelens Inzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Onel, at 7.07 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The body of United States Congressman and civil rights leader John Lewis is lying in state in the Capitol Hills Rotunda in Washington, where mourners will be able to pay their last respects until Tuesday night. The events in Congress followed the arrival of the body in the nation's capital, arriving at Joint Base Andrews and then brought via motorcade to the Capitol building, passing various landmarks of significance to the revered leader, shown Bryce Peace reports. Among the landmarks the motorcade passed and paused at included the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial and the newly named Black Lives Matter Plaza near the White House, where Lewis made his final public appearance on June 7th. Running stop! Running stop! 
his coffin later carried into the capital rotunda by a military honor guard, where it was received by the leaders of Congress, among them Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Between then and now, John Lewis became a titan of the civil rights movement and then the conscience of the Congress. Here in Congress, John was revered and beloved on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the Capitol. The Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell called Lewis a hero the nation needed so badly, crediting him with helping bend what MLK referred to as the arc of the moral universe towards justice. He paid that price at every Nashville lunch counter where his leadership made segregation impossible to ignore. He paid it in every jail cell where he waited out hatred and oppression. He paid that price in harassment and beatings from a bus station in South Carolina to the Edmund Pettus Bridge. John Lewis lived and worked with urgency because the task was urgent. Vice President Mike Pence and presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden were also expected to pay their last respects at the Capitol, but not so for President Donald Trump, who Lewis long viewed as an illegitimate president. No, I won't be going, no. His body will lie in state until Tuesday evening and then travel to his hometown of Atlanta, Georgia, the region he represented in Congress for more than three decades. Bill Campbell is a former mayor of the city. John Lewis was one of the transcendent figures in American history. His uh, work, his dedication, and his life sacrifice has made it better for all of us today. There are very few people who are willing to give their life for a struggle, and John was willing to do that. And I believe that his legacy will be recorded as one of the, the great transformative figures in the 20th century. Lewis, who died aged 80 after a pancreatic cancer diagnosis, will receive a final send-off at a private funeral service at the Ebenezer Baptist Church Horizon Sanctuary on Thursday. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. Somalia's parliament has removed Prime Minister Hassan Ali Kare from his post in a vote of no confidence for failing to pave the way towards fully democratic elections. A whopping 170 of parliament's 178 MPs backed the no-confidence motion and the ouster was immediately endorsed by President Mohamed Abdullahi Famajo, who appointed Kare as Prime Minister in February 2017. Uh, to discuss this further, we are joined on the line by Kwezi Mkubisa, an expert on Somalia. Kwezi, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu, and to your listeners. Now, Kwezi, what do you make of these developments? Did the ouster of Prime Minister Hassan Ali Kare come as a surprise? Well, yes, it did come as a surprise. And at the same time, no, uh, we did not expect it. I'll start with the second um, uh, answer. We did not expect it because there's been much progress that has been made on one of the most um, uh, staunch uh, stumbling blocks on progress in Somalia insofar as elections are to be held. Uh, about two weeks or so ago, um, the regional, the federal government of Somalia in Mogadishu, as well as the regional member states, which is, um, there's about six of them, they actually met, their leadership met, um, to actually thresh, thresh out a program of action on how to hold elections on time. 
there were disagreements, but in the end there was agreement. This uh, gave us a lot of hope that uh, there was now a sense of cooperation between these member states as well as the federal government. It was expected, on the other hand, primarily because closer to elections, the configurations around clan representation, around regional representation in government, come into very negative play, whereby whoever is in power has to watch his or her back. They need to make sure that uh, their regime, their clans are well represented in order to be in a position to do well in the upcoming elections. So, yes, it is a very confusing situation concerning as well. Now, should, shouldn't the president also take the blame for failing to prepare a clear plan that paves the way for a democratic election, firstly? And is the prime minister the only one who should take the blame here? Well, I don't think it was a question of who has to take the blame. I think it's a question of confidence. I mean, Somali politics, especially in light of um, the federal uh, system that they are trying to put into place, requires as an absolute necessity consensus. And I think that what many of those that voted against uh, former Prime Minister Kyrie felt was that they did not have enough confidence in him maintaining or advancing that consensus. What is this consensus about? The consensus is about making sure that the cooperation between Mogadishu and the six or so uh, regional administrations remains intact in keeping in line with whatever timetable uh, that is put together for the upcoming election. Now, Prime Minister Kaire is possibly one of the longest-serving prime ministers. He has done relatively well at at, at, uh, ensuring a a sense of uh, credible administration, payment of civil servants, the fight against al-Shabaab, international cooperation, regional coordination in the effort to put together that particular country. But what is at stake here is to ensure that no one individual and no one personality basically has an upper hand in the control of the state or in the control of how the state and its, and its uh, subsidiary entities in the regional administration, uh, they interact with the international community, they get access to resources. And I think that this is possibly one of the issues where confidence was eroded when they, the parliamentarians who voted against Kaira, took the decision that they took. Now, Okwesi, there are concerns that uh, Kaira's ouster showed some serious disrespect for um, the constitutional foundations of the country and that the voting procedures did not meet the minimal constitutional requirements. Do you think this is a fair assessment? Well, just to, to start with, uh, the constitution is yet to be still adopted in the legal sense of the word. Uh, the reality of the matter is that it has been a blueprint that has somewhat been used in an ad hoc manner, in a self-serving manner, uh, in terms of uh, regulating relations between the various entities, arms of uh, government, as well as responsibilities and obligation of the government towards the citizenry. Now, when we are talking about whether it has, uh, it has been adhered to, let us just quickly, uh, in, 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 very briefly, share what it actually says. It says that for any vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister to be effected, there has to be a petition of five, uh, members, uh, 50 members of Parliament to actually demand for the Speaker of Parliament to put this on the agenda of the House. Um, secondly, thirdly, there has to be a debate in order for this individual or whatever individual is actually being put um, uh, not on trial, so to speak, but has to defend themselves. Uh, this has not happened. There, were no, there was no petition of 50 uh, parliamentarians who demanded the speaker to put this on the agenda. The vote of no confidence was not put on the agenda. And thirdly, there was no debate on this particular issue. So a bland answer 
No. This ad hoc self-serving uh, application of the Constitution, even in this instance, was not being followed. Now, basically, Somalia has set itself the goal of uh, holding one person, one vote national elections next year, as opposed to a complex system which uh, um, special delegates pick lawmakers who then vote for the president in what would be its first full democratic election since 1969. How significant are the 2021 elections? They're very significant. I mean, if you look into the report that was presented to the lower house of parliament last month by the national by the electoral body that has been set up to to oversee them they actually came out and actually said that they would need at least an extension of nine months from the nine months or at least the, the, the parliamentary elections were meant to be held at the end of this year with the presidential elections held in march next year they said that they needed nine months in order to be able to prepare what was the stumbling block, or at least what was being contested, was what form or electoral model was going to be used. The meeting I referred to earlier on as having been held two weeks or so ago um, in one of the federal states actually resolved that the one-person, one-vote model would actually be the one to be used for the upcoming elections. Why are elections important? Primarily because the investments that have been made by both Somalis, the Somali government, the international community, um, have, have been too huge in order to leave this very important aspect of the transition of Somalia from being a country without a government to being one that is welcomed into the community of, uh, of, 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 of countries uh, or states, as it were, that are seeking uh, a peace. The elections are important. They will help to de- de- decide on the representatives of the people that will ensure there is a fight against a, a, a winning fight against al-Shabaab. They would actually be the representatives that would ensure that development is revisited in that country, that stability is revisited in that country. Elections are very important, and they are possibly one of the last remaining milestones that we need to judge whether Somalia can rejoin the community of countries on the continent and internationally. And what would be the impact if these long-awaited elections are not held on schedule? Well, at this point in time, um, we, the, the president has already appointed an acting prime minister, who is the former deputy president who deputized uh, uh, former prime minister Kaire. Um, the, the reality of the matter is that they cannot not have these elections. They will have an imperfect election. Uh, they will have political uh, challenges going into them. They will have to amass all of the strength that they have in order to appeal to both the continental and international community to put resources therein in order to ensure that we do not only look at Somalia as Somalia is a country that has not had a government, but we look at Somalia as joining the fight for stability and prosperity on the continent. And of course, do away with the tag of either pirates, piracy, or for that matter, extremism. Now, President uh, Famajo has already appointed an acting prime minister, and the fact that he has to appoint a permanent prime minister and a government, um, you know, to make sure that elections uh, take place scheduled for next year, are there any particular names that are being uh, thrown around um, with regards to uh, possible candidates to replace um, the former prime minister? Firstly, it was an extremely clever uh, move on the part of the president to actually appoint an acting prime minister. What he possibly is looking at doing is to test the waters. You'll recall that I referred earlier on to regional and clan considerations. 
these two sectors make up part of the configuration of who do you actually choose as a prime minister? You need an individual who will be in a position, not as a, as a person, but as, as, as he or she is perceived by the various interests that reside in the regional and can uh, uh, concerns, uh, who will be able to marshal some consensus, who will be in a position to be accepted to the regional uh, uh, and international community. Somebody who will be confidence in the nascent uh, civil service. Uh, but more importantly, uh, more than anything else, somebody who will actually have the credibility to ensure that uh, they mobilize the, 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 the security defense sector uh, and, and remain focused in the fight against Al-Shabaab. Now, there are a number of individuals. Uh, Somalis have actually, Somalis politicians have got a variety of um, uh, 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 qualities in, 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 in people and personalities who have been involved in politics. We have seen a recycling of politicians, uh, some who have actually been part of the various transitions that have taken place in over a decade that have come through and have actually done well, including the president himself is, is actually uh, an epitome of this. Uh, there are a number of, 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 of candidates that are actually being lobbied for. Uh, as soon as the prime minister was uh, lost the vote, um, uh, it was reported in Mogadishu that the following day flights were almost full with almost um, uh, various representatives of various Somali constituencies from as far as Kwezi, are you still with us? We seem to have lost that connection. Um, I was having a discussion with uh, Kwezi Mkubisa, an expert on Somalia, just giving us an update of the developments taking place in Somalia where the uh, Prime Minister has been um, ousted and uh, by President uh, Mohamed Famajo uh, with a vote of no confidence by M- members of Parliament, uh, 170, um, percent, 170 of the par- parliamentarians voted um, in backing the no confidence vote motion, um, Kwezi Imkubisi is an expert on Somali, uh, new Somali politics, and he was joining us on the line. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Cabinet has decided that all public schools should take a break for the next four weeks. Now, this has also been the experience in a number of other countries where schools have opened and have also had to close due to the circumstances that each country has had to confront. This means that schools will be closed from the 27th July and will reopen on the 24th of August. Channel Africa. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int.
For your latest update on the novel coronavirus COVID-19 for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, I'm Coletta Wanjohi. Once contaminated, hands can transfer the virus to your eyes, nose or mouth. From there, the virus can enter your body and make you sick. At 7.24 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The matter of the illegal repatriation of five Zimbabwean nationals by senior Hawks officials and how this was dealt with by former police minister Natin Ntlego took center stage at the State Capture Commission on Monday. Ntlego was due to cross-examine former Independent Directorate Head Robert McBride at the commission, but the latter asked for more time to prepare. McBride made various allegations against Ntlego when he took the stand at the inquiry last year, including that Ntlego was determined to purge the Department of People whom he did not believe would further his agenda and that he employed a Zimbabwean convicted fraudster as chief of staff in his office during his tenure as minister. Busichimombe reports. In his affidavit deposed the day before he was to appear before the Zondo Commission, former IPUT head Robert McBride asked for more time to prepare. He used to answer to three matters at the Commission. His lawyer, Catherine Harding, explained her client's absence to Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. It is in principle available to do all three cross-examinations on the 13th, but the effect of this affidavit would be to, to seek to be excused from today's proceedings and the 29th. And for the 13th, he is fine. He is available and, uh, for the 13th. And then I guess uh, another date that will be determined for uh, the evidence uh, for his appearance relating to Mr. Nclego and to somebody else later in this week. The hearing then proceeded with former police minister Natin Tleko prefacing his testimony with a complaint about his treatment at the hands of the commission, his lawyer William Mukari. When he made follow-ups as to when will he be given an opportunity to put his side of the story given the serious impact the allegations that were made by Mr McBride to his career prospects and that he's unable to find a job as a result of that he was told that he should wait and that he will be told until when Mr. Nflego threatened legal action against the commission that he would rather go to court to compel the commission to treat him fairly. Evidence leader Garth Halley questioned Nflego about the five-member reference group that he had appointed soon after he began his tenure in May 2014. The group was referred to by McBride in his testimony to the state commission as a hit squad formed for the express purpose of purging the police department of officials that did not subscribe to Ntleko's agenda. However, Ntleko says the group was to assist him to deal with burning issues, including the alleged illegal repatriation of five Zimbabwean citizens by senior Hawks members. The reference group found that IPED had produced two reports on the matter. The, the issue raised by the reference group was how come you had one report with the body of it, you know, by and large similar to the other one, but with a different set of recommendations as opposed to the second one. For an example, the first one referred to the implicated pe- people as 
needed to be prosecuted. But in the second one, there is then a, a different recommendation that exonerates those particular people who are implicated in the first one. And, and therefore the critical question was, how come you had such a situation? The minister then commissioned law firm Verksman's attorneys to investigate the curious case of the two reports. The attorneys concluded that the report into the illegal renditions was changed to ensure that then-Hawks boss Anwar Dramat got off the hook. It recommended that Dramat and Gauteng Hawks head Shadrach Zibia be criminally charged and McBride be disciplined. Prior to that, Ntleko admits that he had never asked McBride for an explanation on the matter. That report by Busi Chimombe. A top Zimbabwean journalist, Hopewell Chinono, who helped expose a multi-million dollar corruption scandal involving the procurement of coronavirus supplies, was denied bail on Friday following his arrest on charges of inciting violence. More from Chinono's lawyer, Doug Coltat. The, the ground that the magistrate uh, used to deny bail uh, was that uh, he regarded Hopewell as a danger to the public in that uh, magistrate said he had not yet completed his mission of, uh, of calling on people to demonstrate on 31 uh, July uh, and that, um, that there were no conditions he could impose uh, to restrain him from, uh, from, uh, from continuing uh, to call on people to, to demonstrate. And just talk to us in terms of his condition. What is his condition like? Has he spoken to you in terms of whether he eats? Look, the status of, the status of our jails is, uh, is, is a huge uh, uh, a point of concern. Uh, at, at the time of the COVID-19 pandemic, there is uh, 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 actually a COVID-19 outbreak in some of our prisons. Uh, he has not been allowed to wear uh, PPE uh, in the prison as he, as he was uh, when he was himself, uh, something which we are still uh, working on to try and, uh, and negotiate for him to, uh, to be allowed to wear the PPE. But um, otherwise, he is, uh, he's, he's staying strong and, uh, and resilient, and uh, he, he's still in good spirits. He will be kept in prison until a court hearing on August the 7th. Are you planning on appealing this matter? Yes, we are. In fact, we're just about uh, to, to file our appeal, uh, which we hope will be, will be uh, heard uh, even this week, and that uh, he might be released on, uh, on, on the hill. Uh, by the High Court. Now, the United Nations has expressed uh, concerns uh, with regards to the situation in Zimbabwe, especially looking at uh, the freedom of expression. How would you describe uh, the freedom of expression situation? Yeah, no, uh, freedom of expression is, uh, is under uh, a huge threat uh, in, in Zimbabwe. As, uh, as the, the UN Human Rights Commissioner stated, COVID-19 is really being used as a pretext to crack down on any political uh, dissent, uh, persecute those who are perceived as being uh, in opposition to the government, even if it's uh, merely uh, reporting on corruption. Uh, so uh, these kind of human rights abuses are ongoing. Um, the use of violence by the state is, uh, is, is also prevalent. Um, 
these are just some of the many challenges that we face. And just in terms of the international uh, solidarity, do you think uh, international bodies could help uh, Hopewell with regards to this case? Because we know that uh, since his arrest, uh, there's been uh, an outcry from his colleagues from other countries, such as here in South Africa. Yes, absolutely. And I think that um, that uh, international solidarity um, uh, and outcry is very important for uh, putting pressure on the constitution uh, to comply with the, uh, with its own laws, which is violating. I think that we will hope to see more pressure brought to bear in Zimbabwe from uh, the South African government, uh, from SADAC, the AU, uh, who really uh, have have more influence over our government than um, than uh, than than other than other international entities. That's Doug Coltart, a member of Zimbabwean journalist Hopewell, an attorney of Zimbabwean journalist Hopewell Chinono on the line from Harare, Zimbabwe, speaking to Kumbelo Munjelele. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 for Channel Africa, I'm Arthur Skopo in Lusaka, Zambia. If you develop fever, cough, and difficulty breathing, Seek medical advice promptly, as this may be due to a respiratory infection or other serious condition. Our headlines up next with Onil Nzinzi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. South Africa's ruling ANC party's Harting Provincial Executive Committee will meet on Wednesday to discuss the recent allegations leveled against presidential spokesperson Kusela Digo. Zimbabwe's ruling party accuses U.S. ambassador of sponsoring planned opposition protests in an attempt to overthrow the government. And the U.S. announces the first U.S. presidential debate between incumbent Donald Trump and his Democratic challenger Joe Biden. Channel African News, I'm Onelinsinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Interviews to fill vacancies on the board of the National Youth Development Agency continue today. There are seven vacancies to be filled on the agency's board. MPs hope to complete the process by Friday and recommend to the National Assembly the names of the preferred candidates to serve on the board. Lula Mamadia reports. The National Youth Development Agency is tasked with tackling challenges facing young people. These include unemployed lack of access to funding to start businesses, as well as prohibitively high cost of communication. Shortlisted candidates were quizzed, among others, about their understanding of the Public Finance Management Act, challenges facing the Youth Development Agency, and their vision. The first candidate to be interviewed was Bongingosin Kize, who was asked about his vision for the NYDA. Issues of uh, women abuse, issues of gender-based violence, issues pertaining to youth trying to access the, the, the entrepreneurial sector, and so on. Knowing this and observing these challenges and how government has responded over time to these issues, but still 
the gap, the gap remains. Political analyst Lukona Mguni put emphasis on supporting artists. Mguni said, previously disadvantaged artists, especially in the fine arts, have been neglected and not been receiving grants from NYDA. Um, we haven't tapped into the arts. Uh, the NYDA hasn't tapped a lot in, in terms of the arts. So what people who are into fine art, who are into crafts, how do you support them? There has to be platforms for exhibitions. There has to be platforms for marketing their work and ensuring that you have a way in which they can come together and demonstrate their expertise, come with industry experts who can tap into those skills and popularize them. Naledi Maponopono said it's important for board members to play an oversight role on grants they issue. So I think as a board we should be held on in terms of getting reports of all grant recipients and whether they were able to use the grants in the manner that we envisage that the grants are supposed to provide a certain relief to them to be able to have successful businesses. That report by Lula Mamakia. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. There's nothing good about alcohol. Alcohol is destructive. Alcohol destroys families. Alcohol destroys life. Alcohol contributes to unprotected sex and spreading of diseases. Alcohol contributes to domestic violence abuse of children and women channel africa in each and every one of us there is a pepper and graves we were all meant to shine it is up to an individual to realize that pepper don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something join me amanda machaga on life by design where i will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live your life, life by, by design. design tune in to life by design for your dose, dose of monday motivation every monday at 8 a.m central african time and at 2 a.m the following day life, life by design be the architect of your life only on channel africa be african, african perspective It's 7.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Despite the significant impact on South Africa's ailing economy from the COVID-19 pandemic, the ramifications of the country's economic lockdown imposed to limit the impact of the pandemic are reduced turnovers for businesses that have resulted in diminished and uncertain cash flows with no clear indication of when a recovery can be expected. With the pandemic and the resultant lockdown, there is a silver lining in the cloud of depressed market values. Kemp Munich, head of Structured Solutions at Bravura, reckons that the current environmental provi environment provides an excellent opportunity for tax-efficient estate planning for individuals so as to optimize their financial position as the market begins to recover. Munich has more. Um, I believe it's a silver lining because um, ultimately with depressed values, it's only a temporary 
loss in value um, and therefore create an opportunity for companies or individuals or big families to restructure their affairs um, in, in such a way that they can actually enhance the value and increase profitability once the pandemic is over. The only problem is one don't know how long it's going to take. But um, these type of um, opportunities doesn't come along um, very often and therefore one have to really consider it if you're in that position. You are of the view that the current environment provides an excellent opportunity for tax-efficient estate planning for individuals. Please take us through this. Yes, I do believe it. Um, as, I, um, as an example, let's say, for example, your um, assets has reduced in value, say, by 25 to 30% uh, in the current market situation. And if you can then restructure your affairs now, any growth back to your current values or previous values before the pandemic, if you do that properly now, you can move the assets or um, to the estate planning, do the estate planning, and they therefore save some estate duty and also potential future cost um, on, on any estate cost that might come through in your estate. So mm-hmm. you actually, um, you won't leak, as I call it, um, tax at this point in time or to that great effect, and therefore you will save quite a lot of tax if you can do it now. And on that, take us through the added benefits of a well-thought-out estate planning strategy. What it helps is also um, from a commercial perspective, if you want to transfer wealth to your family or to other family members for for future generations, it's also then is an opportunity to do it now because it's going to cost you less to do it now and it also gives you time to build a flexible structure. So in the future when you want to exit your business uh, because of retirement or something happens to you, your structure are in place and therefore your business can continue and therefore commercially you can um, make sure your business is sustainable and therefore create jobs and it doesn't basically die with you when something happens to you. What would you advise individuals that have already considered implementing an estate planning strategy but have been hesitant or unsure about how to undertake this? Um, I would advise them to to have a look at their current position. Um, I really think about their long-term strategies, what they want to do with their businesses and their assets, who they want to transfer to and what they want um, to happen to it. And therefore, they then need to contact their advisors and their specific advisors will then basically tell them how to do it and when to do it. You are of the view that business owners that are currently facing many pressing issues amidst the uncertainty must be aware that the estate planning opportunities triggered by these lower market valuations may not last forever. Why is this? Yeah, as I mentioned before, before the pandemic, um, a lot of the stock exchanges were very high, property values were high. Mm. Um, but now with the pandemic, um, a lot of those values has dropped and, and it, it's only temporary. Um, as I said, it might last a year, two years, three years, we don't know, but it will recover. And therefore, the opportunity is now to make any move to transfer any assets or move shares around because of the lower values. Because in two or three years' time, it not, might not be as low and it'll cost you much more to do it. That's Kemp Munich's head of structured solutions at Bravura, an investment banking firm on the line speaking to Tutongubeni.
The Premier Soccer League has confirmed that South Africa's football season will resume on the 8th of next month after a four-month enforced break due to the coronavirus pandemic. This was confirmed late this o- late yesterday afternoon after the National Soccer League's Extraordinary Board of Governors meeting. The two Nedbank Cup semifinals will be played on the first day of resumption with the Absa Premiership and Glad Africa Championship matches resuming three days later. Sviso Ramara reports. Local football will be back in full swing from the 8th of August. This follows a series of meetings held by professional football authorities to save the 2019-2020 season. PSL's chairman, Evan Kozam, says they expect the 2019-2020 season to conclude by the 5th of September. Koza has thanked their sponsors, who continued with their financial backing despite the non-activity in local football. Clubs that continued to receive their monthly grants since March will pay for their own costs of traveling and staying in biologically safe environments around Gauteng during matches. The Board of Governors have since now accepted to resume the games on the 8th of August and immediately phoned the President of SAFA to make him aware that you know, we are resuming the games on the 8th of August. I tried to phone the Minister, but I left a message on his phone that we are resuming on the 8th of August. The MEC was sport in Gauteng. She was also briefed. I remember Gauteng are the people who are going to be hosting the PSC and all the other logistics insofar as transporting the teams as they come at the point of entry uh, to the hotels, from the hotels to the training venues, training venues to the match venues. Earlier this month, the South African Football Association gave football the go-ahead to resume on the 1st of August with the remaining matches to be played behind closed doors in Gauteng. Koza says individual clubs are expected to follow all strict conditions stipulated by their compliance officer. In the Board of Governors, we've got what is called the compliance officer, who gave us a report that all the clubs have complied except one that is trying to comply. If you don't comply before you go to the bubble, you're out. And remember, going to the bubble for the eight hours before must be tested. Anyone going to the bubble must be negative. If you're not negative, you're out. Koza admits that the league faced a very challenging four months without any competitive football. He says he's glad that the season will be settled in the field of play and not in the boardroom, which will save the National Soccer League from a lot of legal challenges. With all that kind of you know, challenges we've overcome, now we're about to start. But also very important that this league is seen to be one of the most progressive leagues in the continent. It's also very important that the, the results are settled in the field of play. Because any other thing is going to deal with kind of challenges, of legal challenges and things like that, which is not too known for the PSL, those kind of debates, the negativity. So to finalize the results in the field of play, it's settled the score. Who must go down, who must go up, who must win the league, who must be in the top eight. All that is going to be settled in the field of play. With the principle we have adopted on day one when we made the announcement of doing everything in our power Kosa says the APSA Premiership and the Glad Africa Championship will be concluded by the 5th of September and this will be followed by the promotional playoffs which will need at least two extra weeks to complete. Remember the practice beyond that, there's playoffs. So the greater part of the time will be taken by the playoffs which might go to the second week, you know, almost maybe the third week of uh, September. But the Premier Division at most 
in terms of how they've squeezed now the fixture. Uh, we hope to finish in the first week of September because of the circumstances. We had spread it to make it easier, but now because of time constraint, to think about the new season, but also to think about you know, the qualifiers and also the FIFA calendar in terms of international games that must take place. We must take cognizance of that and make sure that there are no clashes. The Board of Governors will meet within the next three days to make other decisions including the transfer window for the 2020-2021 season as well as the resumption of the new season. I'm Sfeso Ramara in Johannesburg. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity. Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gones-Malka. Every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. It's 7.49 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Thanks, uh, Balungile. South Africa's Finance Minister, Tito Mboweni, has reacted to the IMF's decision to grant South Africa a low-interest COVID-19 loan of $4.3 billion U.S. dollars by saying the Ramaphosa administration will continue with measures to build on policy strengths and work on uh, and work to lessen, rather, economic vulnerabilities exposed by the virus. The low interest loan is worth around 3.7 billion US dollars. In total, South Africa has secured financial assistance of more than 5.4 billion US dollars from international financial institutions. Mbowene says South Africa's Reserve Bank has also played an important role in reducing interest rates by a total of 300 basis points as consumers and businesses feel the severe economic effects of the coronavirus lockdown. The finance minister says government's COVID-19 support package totaling 26.3 billion US dollars has been directed straight at the problems exposed by the coronavirus. This comes after the African Development Bank last week approved a 288 million US dollar loan to South Africa as part of its COVID-19 response facility, while the New Development Bank approved a $1 billion U.S. dollar loan as a part of its COVID-19 emergency program. Sharon Braspies has more on the IMF loan. 
According to the IMF, under its rapid financing instrument due to the COVID-19 pandemic, South Africa was able to access the financing at very low interest rates relative to the higher borrowing costs the country would generally face. This is the first time Pretoria has sought a loan from the IMF since democracy in 1994. According to Bloomberg, under the special drawing rights with the IMF, the loan would be payable over three to five years at an interest rate of just over 1%. More than 70 countries have received financial assistance from the IMF to help in efforts to cushion the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Sherman Bricepies, SABC News, New York. The Black Business Council of South Africa has urged its members to observe clean business practices and refrain from corruption, especially as the country battles coronavirus. The council has criticized alleged corruption relating to the $26.3 billion U.S. dollar COVID-19 relief fund. The fund was meant to help the country deal with the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. President Cyril Ramaphosa recently confirmed that the SIU was leading an investigation into alleged corruption. CEO of the Black Business Council, Hanki Matabane, spoke to the SABC. People need to follow the processes. We, we need our members uh, and all black business in general to do business in a, in a clean manner. The credibility of the systems, both uh, procurement systems of government and, and of private businesses, that credibility is maintained. Uh, it's important that we, we don't uh, create that perception that we are becoming uh, almost a, a country that is unruly, where everywhere where there's a crisis, people are looking for opportunities. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, has urged customers to use electricity sparingly after six-generation units are tripped and fears increased of a return to load shedding. The power utility says that this has left its systems constrained and warns that further breakdowns could compromise its ability to supply power to the country. Spokesperson Sikonati Manjanja. We lost a unit each at Midupi and at Tutuka power stations, totaling about 1,300 megawatts. This constrained supply situation may persist through the weekend. ESCOM teams are hard at work trying to return these units to service. The public's cooperation in managing demand will help us supply the country's demand through the peak period. South Africa's iconic brand Lucky Star, canned fish owners Oceana Group Limited, has announced a share interim dividend for the 2020 financial year. This follows an announcement early in June that the company would defer the dividend pending a review. In the announcement made on the Namibian Stock Exchange, the company said after due consideration, an interim dividend of 100 cents per share would be paid on the 17th of August this year. The U.S. dollar is trading at 386.2 Nigerian Nara, 11.34 Botswana Pula, 106.67 Kenyan Shilling and 18.4 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, we'll start in Brazil. One U.S. dollar will cost you 5 real 19 in Russia, 71 rubles 59 in India, 74 rupees 52 in China. A dollar is changing hands at 6 yuan 99 and in South Africa, it will cost you 16 rand 48. 
The US dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 85 cents to the euro. A look at commodities markets now. Gold $1,943, platinum $943 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $42.62 a barrel. Africa rise and shine. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Channel Africa One. You can also WhatsApp on plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven. Our taking us to the top of the hour for the news is subconsciously by Black Coffee featuring Sabrina Claudio.